Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to episode 107 of A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. Keeping it strictly booge. Keeping it binfluencer. Um, This is your goddamn cannonball dive bomb into the worlds of politics and dystopia. Um, At least it used to be... (laughs) Here's the thing, right? It used to be called dystopia when this shit was the plotline in a barely watchable B-movie, you know? Now it's just how shit is. Like, it's just our actual... Like, do you, do you remember when things like Western authoritarians and flu-like viruses and uh, an overheated planet... Do you remember when they were, like, plots? Just shitty, overwritten ideas in a paramount blockbuster, you know? <laughs> Producers sat around a table, screenwriters. What would happen if we came to the brink of a nuclear war? You know? <laughs> now now it's just, yeah, that's like all of that is happening. Every every single plot line you've just touched on, all of it is happening. So, oh, wasn't wasn't far-fetched and overwritten at all? No, no, actually it was fucking bang on. <laughs> Underwritten, in fact. If you consider that five movies worth of bad shit is all happening at the same time here now. That's <laughs> in a weird way you kind of understated it. Um, sometimes I wonder if all those celebrities that died in 2016 knew what was coming. You know, <laughs> like like they knew they could see into a crystal ball that would cost you know, $900,000 or something, but it fucking worked, you know, and they could see what was coming down the line. They're like, well, you know, I've had a good run. (laughs) I'm not sticking around for that shit. Fuck that. And that would be the correct decision. You know, see all this stuff unfolding on the horizon, oil and gas running out, droughts over here, floods in Pakistan, nuclear war, pandemics, just wall-to-wall fucking nightmares. And to give you some context, as if it were needed, that, you know, shit is bad. A bunch of the richest and most respected people in the world saw it coming in 2016. And they were like, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm rich and powerful, but fuck that. (laughs) You think a couple of million is going to keep me fed and safe for long in a post-apocalyptic L.A. (laughs) where... Motherfuckers are impaling their friends and family over the last remaining 250 mil bottle of water. You think anyone's going to care about my Grammys when I've got water in my fridge and it hasn't rained for 350 days or some shit? Don't you care about my Grammys? Asked Prince as they beat him to death for his Pringles. Wow, shit's... Shit's getting dark early in this episode. Um... Anyway, what's going on, uh, everyone? How 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 are you? Uh, I'm back. I'm back in the UK. Uh, flight back was fucking awful. Uh, <laughs> the first first four hours of it. Like I I hesitate to talk about this sort of stuff because I'm like I used to do a lot of stand up, and one of the uh, sort of tropes that would get wheeled out would be comedians who kind of lose touch or jump the shark or you know kind of fall out of 
the, the, the zeitgeist a bit. And because all they do then is like tour from this town to that town and fly from this city to that city. All they ever talk about, like all of their material then is to do with like catching flights <laughs> and airplane food. And like, don't you hate it when you're at the airport? And, the, you know, that's their whole life at that point. And so I hesitate to talk about this stuff, but it's literally the most recent thing that's happened to me. And I can assure you, I am so far away from being a professional comedian touring different cities. So just fucking humor me. Indulge me. Um, so this flight back was was terrible. Uh, the first four hours of it. Anyway, terrible. Uh, my daughter is a year and a half old. And uh, unlike a lot of airlines, Thai Air have restrictions and age limits uh you know for, for kids and stuff and like i'd asked for a cot bed because she's like 18 months old and not big and so for the purposes of you know keeping everyone happy like her but most mostly me <laughs> and other passengers i like i kind of wanted to dump her in this you know this cot bed thing which they have i know they have this facility it's effectively a baby cage for a flight for the majority of the flight right um and they said no they said one-year-olds max, like if that. I think it may have actually been younger. I, I can't quite remember. But anyway, she was too old for it. So they said. So so then you think, well, OK, like, so I'll put her in a, you know, in a seat, right? Too big for the cot, put her in the seat. And they're like, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a no, sir. <laughs> so she's too big for the cot, too small for the seat. So where the fuck do you want me to put her? Like in the in the fucking luggage hold, like the overhead, because I'll do it. You know, this is a 12 hour flight. Like, what's the solution here? What's the middle ground? And they're like, just, you know, just keep her on your lap, sir. I'm like, keep her on my lap for 12 hours. Are you fucking joking? Like, have you ever met a one year old? Like, you think she's just going to sit in my lap calmly? <laughs> like, oh, I'm... What did you say the food was again, Father? You know, perhaps we could uh, we could watch two episodes of Scooby Doo. You know, I, f I find it most amusing. You know, no, she's gonna she's gonna stand up and punch the guy in front headrest and scream and throw things and violently push buttons because that's what one year olds do. And she's like, yeah, like you know, it's, it's not safe for her to be sat on her own in an adult seat so you know like they're being patient with me and they're sort of you know they're explaining shit to me but like i love i love this idea that the adult seats aren't safe for her but sitting freely with no fucking belt on no restraint at all in my lap like that's the safer option <laughs> in this fucking thing flying through the sky through clouds and turbulence and like if the plane landed horribly in a field and, you know, a, a bumpy fucking landing. And she was in a seat with a belt around her. She might be okay. She might survive. But on my lap with no belt and just me holding her. I don't know, man. Like, like everyone wants to believe they'd have a protective parental instinct to them, don't they? Everyone wants to believe that. That in in the throes of danger and threat, like, that they would, they would, at, at the most the most important thing in that scenario would be that they protect their young but i do worry like what if my survival instincts kick in and some you know subconscious coward brain instinct activates you know 
And I just fucking throw her off my lap and hold my neck. And she goes bouncing around the fucking cabin. Like, like how would you know what your survival instincts are going to tell you to do unless you've been through that? And I know that sounds weird. Like, you know, you might be listening to this thinking something along the lines of, like, is he actually suggesting he might save himself over his child in a life or death situation? God, you know, he seemed... He seemed nice. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying I don't know what people might do. Not me, obviously. I'm nice. You just said to yourself, right? <laughs> I don't know what people might be capable of in that scenario. And I don't think Thai Air do either. So how about you give me an extra seat? Because my daughter is driving me fucking nuts here. Was basically the gist of it. Um... And you know what? Like, unsurprisingly, they did not give me a free seat for my child. And uh, and equally unsurprisingly, uh, she did indeed punch this poor guy's headrest in front of me. Uh, and he was so nice. Like, like, the first three times, he was pretty all right. <laughs> you know? Because the first... The first time it's like, well, you know, maybe that was a mistake. You know, she's she's young. Kids are cute. You know, the end. But then then second time it's like, well, you know, OK, they're just getting settled. All of this is new. It's a new environment. The kid is excited. You know, she'll get bored of this in a minute. And, and then the third time happens. <laughs> you sat there, kid punching the back of your head. And you're just growling to yourself, you know, just, fuck, you know, go, go, gadget, patience. Just internalising the hate, just letting it build up. Every time the kid punches the headrest again, you're like, just, just a grunt, just a sigh of disapproval, you know. And it's not like I'm sat there laughing at him, you know, like, ha, 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 fucking got you good there didn't she you bald fuck like like every time she does it i'm saying sorry but it's like it it's like um it's like when my girlfriend was pregnant like laid out with morning sickness literally the worst morning sickness you can get there's a name for it i can't remember what it is now but it's like a clinical name for this you know you're bedridden for weeks Everything stank to her. Everything set her off. She couldn't eat a fucking thing. And any time she was complaining or whatever, I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And, uh, it's you know, it's not uh, it's not forever. Or, um, or just, uh, just keep thinking about the bubba, you know. And then I'm back to, oh, I'm sorry again. You know, <laughs> like, eventually you run out of shit to say. So then you repeat the same things over and over. And then you kind of run out of shit to feel. You know, like, you do genuinely feel bad for her. But there's only so many times you can say, Ah, I'm sorry. You know, before it sounds like you're reading it on a fucking telesales script. And it's the same on this flight. My daughter punches the back of his headrest again. He growls. And I'm like, sorry. (laughs) And then the fifth time, bang. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then the 12th time, bang. And I'm like, 
yep, still sorry over here. <laughs> you know, and, he's, and he's probably pissed off. Like, I'd be pissed off. But it's like, like, what am I supposed to do, you know? Physically restrain a one-year-old? Like, have you ever seen how that turns out? They go insane. So it's like, do we restrain her and inconvenience the whole cabin? Wake everyone up from the sound of a tot screaming and kicking me? Or do we just try to keep her vaguely happy and accept that you get the ed- or, like headrest jolt, you know? That's the way up. Those are your options. And I imagine him being like, well, you know what? I paid a thousand pounds for this flight and I just want to be left alone to relax and sleep and make my way back to Britain. And then I imagine snapping at him, you know, like, well, this is economy, motherfucker. So take one for the team, you know. And I say imagine because I don't have the fucking balls to say this stuff to people's faces. (laughs) Like... Just a just a few sorries and then, you know, bitch about them on a podcast instead. Significantly less likely to get me assaulted. Um, anyway, so this went on for hours. Fucking out. Four hours of tot management. A one-year-old on a plane, standing up on my lap, like grabbing shit, kicking me, punching this guy. And then she fell asleep. And we got home and uh, and here we are. And here I am back in the cabin for you guys and do you know what it's ace to be back um and there's loads politically to get stuck into at the moment i mean i enjoy telling you guys a bit about you know about me and my life and and the holiday and and my fears for the future and so on but i also like tapping into what's going on in the news obviously um cost of living still the big thing the big cloudy storm on the horizon that is Frankly, not getting anywhere near the column inches that it needs. Uh, On LBC this morning, I heard Nick Ferrari. I don't know if any of you guys were listening to this at the same time, but I heard Nick Ferrari talking to one of their reporters about the leadership hustings that took place yesterday. I think it was in Hampshire or Hertfordshire. And uh, and anyway, the guy's saying, this, this journalist that he's talking to, the guy's saying that there wasn't one question about cost of living from the Tory party members. Because remember, this is a PM that's being decided purely by paid-up members of the Conservative Party. And they, evidently, aren't that bothered by gas and electric bills having increased by 5 to 600% in 18 months. 600%! They don't seem to be that fussed about. <laughs> I don't know. They don't seem to care about the pubs they go to closing because... You know, as one report said yesterday, their energy bill in this pub, this is on BBC, their energy bill had gone from 13 grand to 35,000 pounds, like tripled. And then there's cafes closing and schools or hospitals that are likely to go bankrupt. And none of them seem to give a shit. And you're probably thinking, you know, if you're a forgiving person, you're probably thinking, well, you know, they're conservatives. Maybe they're probably more focused on, you know, what like the Blitz and poppies and the war and, you know, maybe, maybe if it's a war thing like Ukraine, maybe, you know, military, Ukraine, conservatives and or taxes, you know, low taxes. But no, actually, according to this LBC guy, the question that got the biggest reaction, a round of applause and cheering 
was about woke police and fucking culture war nonsense. And I know I say this too much. I keep coming back to this on different episodes. But honestly, this country is run by fucking morons. These same people in a sunny garden with Sunak and Truss and they're careering headfirst into a winter of discontent, into like heating bills, they will be unlikely to afford. And their kids and their grandchildren. They're going to end up with no heating, freezing to death, waving a flag. Their entire cul-de-sac is going to look like the fucking death zone up Everest. Just flaggy corpses. Nobody's bothered to go and pick up. Because the coroner, the mortician or whatever, can't afford the petrol to make it out there. And because he's on minimum wage and he's double booked the appointment with driving for Uber that afternoon or some shit. You know, and these dumb motherfuckers are in this garden or village hall with Sunak and Truss, the two people who could actually offer help and attempt to steer us back on course and save us from the upcoming catastrophe. And what are they on about? What are they asking them questions about? I've heard the police are getting, uh, getting too woke, too socially aware. My question for you is, what do you plan to do about that? <laughs> it's like... Like, uh, what? <laughs> like these people, these people honestly believe the kind of hyperbolic burst fire hydrant of bullshit that you get from cretins like Darren Grimes or in the opinion pages of the STEM newspapers. And that's Sun, Telegraph, Express, Mail for newer listeners. STEM, right? Where they say shit like, the greatest threat... The greatest danger to Britain is woke zealotry. They actually say shit like that. The greatest threat, the greatest danger to Britons in the 21st century is woke zealotry. The greatest danger. Like, while the Conservative Party unplug their heating, starve and freeze them to death. It's like, fucking... Like, it's so far, it's so dark. Just imagining these home counties, golf club, Groupon cunts, putting their hands up in this crowded village hall. Like, what will you do to address the imminent danger of wokeness? And, you know, you imagine Sunak and Truss looking at each other like, is this guy for real? Like, he's, like he's going to be dead in three months. In the Great Gammon Famine. But fine, yes sir, yes, vote for me. It'll be a veritable bonfire of dancing NHS staff and cashless retail. I promise you, I can commit to that. And the guy puts his hand down like, oh, phew. Thank God we're, we're going to be okay, guys. <laughs> and this is, this is the thing I keep coming back to. It's like, they govern. And I say they, like Tories, right? It doesn't matter if it's Johnson or Truss or Sunak. Like, the genie's out of the bottle now. This is just who the Conservative Party are now. Blue Kip, a modern reimagining of the 1970s National Front Manifesto, Trumpism comes to Westminster. Like, whatever you want to call it, this is what they are. And it, it's not governing, you know? It's not leading. It's sort of reactionary and protectionist. I think it was Dominic Cummings who said, um, 
uh, every morning, like Johnson just goes in his office. He reads what the Telegraph is saying. You know, it's like he puts his finger in the air to check which way the tabloid hysteria is blowing. And then that's what he announces or, you know, that's how he governs. That's not governing, though. That's not leading. And it's not, you know, it's not looking at the complex problems that we have in the UK, like fucking what? Like a colossal labour shortage, uh, the housing crisis. The NHS is in like a slow-mo inception like collapse. We've got cost of living now like and whatever else. And what they do is, or what they should do, is go, right, now how do we fix this in a medium to long-term way that works for the citizens of the country and focuses on the expectations of our donors second? <laughs> That's the way they should look at it. But it's completely the reverse. It's like, right, who, who can give us money? Who can give us money? Can you go out and find out who could get... We, we just need some fucking money. Oh, this corporation, that billionaire. Okay, cool. What do they want? They want deregulation of this and they want guaranteed contracts for that. Okay, and then and then, and then, then what do we do when the Mirror and the Guardian start asking questions? Oh, well, that that's cool. Here comes the clever bit. Then we pivot back to something insignificant that offers fuck all to anyone. No improvement to their lives, just a tribal pinch point. Like, you know, police have gone woke or they're trying to change the problems. Like, you know, and that's it. That is honestly it. It's just terrible, awful, self-serving and sociopathic government followed by distractive nonsense that offers fuck all to anyone. That's that is it in a nutshell. I don't know. Like, like sometimes I wish I'd known how easy people were to con like back in the, in the back in the day. Like, imagine if you had known how weirdly obsessed people are with the flag and the proms and the royals and the blitz, like, like way back. It'd be like having the fucking almanac from Back to the Future or something. Like, you could make it work for you. Like, you could just blame anything on a subset of sneering Remainer work-from-home metropolitan latte drinkers. You know, just that, that endless get-out-of-jail-free card. What... What wonderful, fanciful liberty you would have. You know, you could fucking nick your mate's dad's Porsche for the weekend. When he comes knocking on the... Like, bro, what the fuck did you do to my dad's car? You're like, huh? It's impounded by the police. Like, he needs it Monday. Like, what did you do? You're like, tell him the police are actually fucking mask-wearing, jab-happy gay dancers now. And that they hate Britain. And uh, he could probably saunter into the pound and just take it back because everyone works from home like the lazy fucking communists that they are, Dave. You know, and then he'd be like, yeah, oh, yeah, all right. I'll text him that now. I th think he'll probably be all right with that, actually. Like if you had known how easy people were to come with this shit. It's like the golden ticket. And I, like I'm being ridiculous, obviously, but. But it's like it does feel like that's what this is. You know, to me, just this endless get out of jail free card in the form of distraction and then offering nothing, you know. So, yeah, like so anyway, this this crowd of Tory voters um, who don't care about the cost of living, even though it may well end up killing them. Um, and it's I suppose, you know, I don't know if. A lot of people have drawn this parallel yet because, you know, I've been out of the country for the last month. But it is kind of similar to masks and jabs before, right? 
there's this sort of weird layer of British exceptionalism to this. Like the cost of living crisis is something that's going to affect everyone. And it's bewildering how it's become this sort of, you know, line in the sand for the culture war again. But actually, it, they seem to be doing a very successful job of this once again. The same as they sort of started to do with work from home. Started seeing uh, articles, I think, in The Telegraph where they were like, work from home is the latest in a Ramona elite, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, what does this have to do with Brexit? Like people who voted for Brexit enjoy working for like why are you trying to what how have we got here like i don't understand this but there is a level of british exceptionalism to this like like you could imagine people who you would be talking to about this who would be like yeah you know there's a virus but it won't affect me i'm british i didn't cower in the war that i wasn't alive in <laughs> so i won't cower from some bloody sniffly virus right that person there that you talked to two years ago at the height of the pandemic. Now, when you talk to them about cost of living, you can kind of imagine them saying to say, well, I didn't need central heating in the war. You know, we didn't have central heating in the war and I lived through inflation in the 70s. It was character building. Inflation in the 70s that was in no way fueled by fossil fuel scarcity like this one. But I lived through it. I lived through the inflation of the 70s. And so did my parents and grandparents. And so I'll live through this too, because this is Britain. Like There's a definite British exceptionalism to this. And I guess it's because they move in conservative club circles, in golf club circles, members club circles, that few people they interact with probably care about it that much or see it as a, you know, impending doom kind of story. I saw someone tweeting about this earlier. I wish I'd written their name down. Uh, but they were pretty much saying that, you know, that because Brexit wasn't something that would impact them or their friends, they didn't think it was much of a big deal and that it was all Project Fear and, you know, ah, now I'd be OK. Oh, you're, you're being hysterical. There's that sort of attitude, right? And because they hadn't met anyone personally who died from COVID and because they weren't immunocompromised, a lot of them didn't think, they needed to worry about it oh no bloody sniffle oh it's just like the flu you know same thing you know they live in this sort of bubble where if something doesn't come knocking on their door personally then it could we saw it with petrol prices as well how many times did you see shit shared on twitter people driving around their local petrol state whoa plenty of petrol in my local uh four coop four court and it's it's only at uh, one pound 59 a litre so i guess there's no problem anywhere and everyone's just making it up you know it's like it's that kind of psychology and so now cost of living has emerged and now the same people have that same natural knee-jerk reaction which is like ah pff, just the bloody lefties looking for another handout oh pay my gas bill please big state cuddly socialist chancellor well i'm sorry no it's not gonna fly this time you know it's it's that kind of mentality and in in that respect it is they're trying to draw the same lines as they did with the culture war stuff in covid and brexit and work from home and anything else you fill in the blanks and i suppose the latest example of this i saw this earlier and it was trending for a bit uh, I saw Edwina Curry, Jesus Christ, Edwina Curry, on Twitter, lambasting Martin Lewis 
for referring to the cost of living crisis, the impending financial collapse of chunks of the UK economy, not to mention the lives that will be lost through freezing or starving or ambulances not running or hospitals getting their energy cut off if we don't fucking sort this out. I saw Edwina Curry lambasting Martin Lewis for this, for using like negative language. She's like, please don't call it a catastrophe, catastrophe, Martin. If people take sensible steps to reduce the effects on their families and it was like it was that almost word for word. And it's like. This bitch's two claims to fame in politics are that she caused a retail health scare with the salmonella scandal where like running her mouth almost decimated the egg industry in two weeks in the 80s. That said, Weena Curry, she basically went on record and said, yeah, like 80% of the eggs in the UK have now got salmonella in. And everyone was like, well, I'm not fucking buying eggs. <laughs> the, egg, the egg industry just imploded. She had to resign over it. That's her claim to fame. That's what she achieved in politics, running her mouth off and decimating an industry. Oh, and then the second thing is fucking John Major. She, she banged John Major. So that's it. That's her CV. That's her qualifications. I ran my mouth off with shit intel and it almost napalmed a whole industry. And my judgment starts there and finishes at blowing a guy who arguably had the least charisma in 20th century politics. Like, you know, Bill Clinton, sure, suck his dick. I get it. We get it. John Major, are you for real? (laughs) Who the fuck sucks off John Major? Like, you couldn't keep it dry for that shit, really? So that's, that's her CV. And she's like, Martin, less doom and gloom, please. I think, you know, I've thought this through. I think we've established what's happening here. And, uh, you know, I've concluded there's no need for words like catastrophic. That's a hard word to hear, Martin. Please, less doom and gloom. Thank you. Like, oh, really? Oh, yes, please. Let's have some more of you running your mouth off with shit intel. What's the worst that could happen? Last time your brief was eggs and you sink hold that shit to oblivion. This time it's the whole economy. Fucking amazing. The second coming, Edwina 2.0, going up against a proven money expert who's only ever tried to help people. And yet still, there'll be people who see that and go... I used to like Martin Lewis before he went all woke. Like, like they'll know Martin Lewis's history of helping people, helping them and their family find better deals and save money and fight back against consumer exploitation. They'll know all of that. They know his thing, what he's about. And yet they'll see this curry saying, well, it's not going to be that bad, Martin. Tone it down. People just need to put measures in to prepare for it, you know. And they'll honestly conclude that she's the sensible one, that she's the one they should trust because she's being dismissive in the way they are with masks and jabs and the foreseen impacts of Brexit. And they'll tie it all up in a nice little bow and go, yeah, this Tory says it's nothing and we should all keep calm and carry on. You know, like in their minds... Martin Lewis has gone all political, <laughs> like, like out of nowhere. He's just randomly, inexplicably, ad hoc, turned political. 
Well, I used to... I used to like him till he went all lefty. Probably hanging out with theatre lovies and Gary Lineker and... Oh, I don't like him, though. But, OK, so he's wrong about the incoming decimation of your savings and your pension? Like, that'd be all right. We've lived through worse in this country. Like, I love that idea, by the way, like... That because we've lived through worse... Not we, by the way, not us. But because... But, but, because someone's ancestor somewhere had experienced something worse than £500 a month, financially devastating bills, you know, and a mortgage repayment that sends you into the red 24 years into a 25-year mortgage. Like, you could see the light. <laughs> you could see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. The end was in sight. You were almost ready to retire. And bam! Out of nowhere, interest rate hikes into the red. Home repossessed. And you're permanently horse-fucked. The bank just take your house. you got a shit credit rating. But because your great-granddad lost a bollock in the war, like, we should all just shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> it's so, like I'm, I'm sort of envious of that mentality. I wish I was... I was about to say something really judgy there. I wish I was dumb enough to think that was a logical stance to take, that that solved my problems and my concerns. Ah, we, yeah, we lived through worse, you know. But to me, and like maybe you guys, I don't know, if you can let me know that I'm not completely losing my mind here. But to me, it feels like it's so laughably transparent. Like it's a non-debate mechanism, really. It's people saying, I don't want to engage on the substance of this, so I'll just tell you that in the war, things were harder. So you should just be grateful. And then it kind of shuts it down, you know? Then they don't have to answer or even consider the fucking problem or crisis, as the case may be. You know, that, like, it's like, um, like, uh, no one can afford to buy a flat anymore. Well, we got by for thousands of years without 100% mortgages, you know? Or uh, Brexit's fucked the airport. And Dover, and it takes an hour to get through passport control. Well, we used to travel by boat for months. And sometimes they'd sell adrift. And people would catch scurvy and eat each other to stay alive. So I think you can handle an extra hour getting smashed at an airport bar, you poor little thing. You know. I read this... I read this debate anomaly, is what it is. You know, this style of debate. This mechanism that they wheel out. Well, things used to be much worse, so therefore you don't have a point. I read about this this sort of way of non-debating, uh, and it was described perfectly once. Like when they hark back to some bygone eras, backward, archaic, not fit for purpose setup as some sort of weird fucked up justification for making our own modern one worse, substandard or not fit for purpose, you know. And, uh, and it was something like, I think it was on Twitter, might have been Facebook, um... It was something like somebody posting, I'm worried I won't be able to keep my ageing mother from dying of hypothermia. And then it was some typically Tory, like dismissive Edwina Curry style cretin was like, well, we didn't have central heating where I grew up and we turned out fine. And it was a lovely upbringing, a gay old time, you know, so that sort of vibe. It was like basically, well, we didn't used to have this and it was I actually had a very nice child. You know, it was very dismissive. And the response to it was perfect. Fucking bang on. It was like somebody replied back going, ah, yes, 
back to the good old days when everything was shit. <laughs> it was like, it really just hit the nail on the head perfectly. Something was significantly worse some time ago. Technology advanced and we've enjoyed social and industrial progress, the likes of which we couldn't have dreamt of or read about in a fucking H.G. Wells novel. But now we should regress back to the old awful shit because some charmless puddle of shit with a telegraph column wants to romanticise his childhood. Or because Edwina Curry can't bring herself to consider that tripling energy bills might take more than a few steps to mitigate the impact of. You know what I mean? It's a sort of... um, It's a sort of cousin of that other response that you get quite a lot. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you guys would have seen this in, you know, tweet arguments and comment sections and shit. Or maybe you've argued with, you know, friends over a game of pool or something. But here's the other response you get. You get people who say shit like, well, my parents beat the shit out of me and it didn't do me any harm. It's <laughs> Which is and it's way more common than you would think. You know, it's people. Well, my parents smacked me around the face. If I so much as made a peep while my dad was watching the TV and let me tell you, it taught me right from wrong. Didn't do me any harm. You're like, no, you are fucking traumatized, bruh. Like, that is the sad, cringy, it's, it's, you know, shattering your molars cringe level is what it is. It's really sad. It's like, I got beaten the shit out of and it didn't do me any harm. It's actually like, yes, it did. What it did is it normalised violence to you among relatives. And they're supposed to be the people who you love the most. The people who you run to for a, for comfort when you've been bullied or you fell down and you hurt yourself or somebody said something mean to you or you had a bad day. Like, these are your relatives, the closest of close. You're supposed to associate them with nothing but love and support and comfort. And yes, to some extent, discipline, but not violence. But you normalised it to such an extent that now you think, A, it made you the supposedly good person you are today, and B, that it didn't harm you. But it's like, with the A, it's like, it's not a good thing to beat kids. Like, I mean, unless you're on a 12-hour flight back from Thailand, right? Like, with a one-year-old in your lap, which, you know, in which case, break out the nunchucks, fucking have at it. But it's not, it's, not, it's not a good thing, right? Like, So we didn't not do you any harm. So saying that shit is like, you know, it's normalisation. It's trauma. It's you suggesting that it didn't do you any harm. That it's, it's normal to beat the shit out of a child. And then with the second thing, it's like that it didn't harm you. It obviously did because we're having this conversation. So it's like a... Man, it's so awkward. Like I said, it's like molar shattering cringe and it's the same you know you see the same thing wheeled out with housing you see people say shit like um well it wasn't easy for me mate but i'll tell you what i did i stayed in for five years no holidays no big bank holiday blowouts no avocados no netflix no iphone not even a fucking beer on my birthday i just saved and saved from age 24 to age 30 and finally 
after living in my brother's old camper van in a freezing cold garage for five and a half years. Finally, I'd saved enough for a deposit on a bedsit. So yeah, aid, actually, it's not easy. But it weren't easy for me. And if you want it enough and you're willing to sacrifice... I'm always like, I'm sorry, do you think, do you think that's fucking normal to get... Does that sound reasonable to you? To get something as fundamental as a fucking roof over your head and to be able to to sniff some vague sense of financial security that you should have to sacrifice your 20s, live under house arrest, eat cans of beans when you should be out getting laid and <laughs> making bad decisions that you and your friends laugh about in your 50s over a barbecue, you know? And you're like, no, no. If you want a, if you want a 30-year mortgage on a bedsit, you need to live in a permanent state of panic room or some shit. Like, does that sound normal to you? How could people not recognise that as trauma? You know? Well, it didn't do me any harm, so now you must also go through my personal anguish, anxiety and pain. Like, and why do we accept it? You know? Would we accept that sort of mentality in other walks of life? Let's get dark, guys. Would we accept that sort of mentality, that logic? I've, I went through this sort of pain, and so therefore it's okay if you go through it. That is a rite of passage that you must now suffer also if you wish to become as, as good as me. Like, fucking no. Like, we wouldn't accept that in other, other walks of life. You know? It's like if we contrast and compare for a minute. It's like... Well, it was borderline impossible for me to get a mortgage, but somehow I managed. So you should have to go through that too. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. This guy gets it. That's our, our attitude to that sort of way of looking at it. And then it's like, Biden forgives $10,000 student debt to every student. Then you get people going, well, it weren't easy for me to pay extortionate US college tuition, but somehow I got through. I worked my way through with three jobs. So Biden's a jerk. Everyone else should have to work like I had to. And then it, it, people read that sort of attitude, that sort of reaction, and they go, yeah, this guy gets it. You should have to work incredibly hard, work your way through college. Then some guy over here goes, well, I was molested. Uh, it normalised weird familial relations to me. I don't think it did me any harm. So now I do it to it. Like, what? No. No, 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 no. Like, we would not accept that. In So why do we accept it in the others? <laughs> yeah, my uh, grandfather used to fuck me every Sunday. Normalised that sort of thing. So now, uh, yeah, I don't really see the problem with it. Made me the man I am today. But no, 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 no. I'm sorry if this sounds dark and awful. It is. And I'm trying to make... I say I'm trying. I'm not trying to make light of uh, of anyone's suffering and, and experiences. But it's the same fucking mechanism. It's the same. <laughs> They're the same. Tories are basically child molesters, is what I'm saying. No, wait, no, that's too far. That's too far for first-time listeners. The rest of you are fine with it. <laughs> Long-time listeners, veterans, Patreons, the Bimfluencers, the Booge crew. You guys hear that stuff and you're probably like, it's quite a mild show, this one. Um, like, is he not going to say anything about conservative MPs having intercourse with livestock this time? No, man. He's he's really toned it down since they featured him on Jeremy Vine. I mean, he has sold out. But it's the same. 
she's going back to it. It's the same non-debate mechanism. Like saying, I was traumatised and the thing they normalised with me, you should now turn a blind eye to or celebrate. You know, and fucking kid fuckers who say they were abused and so that's why they do it. You know, it's kind of the same. It just is. And here's the thing, right? If you hear that and you think, hang on, he's seriously comparing Tories to child molesters. Is that where is that where political debate is for this guy? Comparing Tories to child molesters? That's disgusting, it. That's beneath you. A, I don't know why, well, first off, I don't know why the Northern accent there, but A, stick around. It's really not beneath me. <laughs> there is no bar on this podcast. Tone or conversation-wise, anyway. Alcoholic drinks-wise, different story. But and, and And then B, if it bothers you that I'm drawing a parallel between the get-out-of-jail-free card that paedophiles try to play and the debate technique that some Tories use, when there is clearly... If, if you have the intellect there to see that, the, the common ground that those two things share, maybe instead of getting all fake outrage about it, I don't know, maybe stop to consider what that actually says about you, your stance and the debate. If you're lowering yourself to the court defence of fucking paedophiles. Well, I went through something horrible, so therefore everyone else should too. Like, come on. Anyway, guys, that's it for this one. End on a high note, uh, I always say. This has been lots of fun. If you are new to the podcast, uh, I put out two shows a week. Uh, Wednesday is a solo one. Uh, Friday night tends to be a guested one. Um, This week, I've got uh, a guy, a friend of mine called Sean. Uh, He's ex-music industry, but we're both very politically active. So no doubt we're going to be talking about Labour and tactical voting um, and other stuff. We're going to do that live on Uh, Friday night, I believe, at half past seven. I'll be tweeting out links for that, as always. Um, If you're in a position to support the podcast and you're enjoying it, why not jump onto Patreon? Uh, I post all of the new episodes there first. Um, There's three tiers that you can jump onto. The first one is £3 a month, so super cheap. Um, Just enough to buy me a beer, really, or... uh or a coffee and just say like it's basically a doff of the cap it's just saying cheers aid enjoying the podcast then there's a five pounds a month tier which gets you uh, as a, a sort of certified influencer certified aid thompsoner god help me um and that gets you exclusive invites to the uh, we've got a london meetup actually for the influencer cult um is also what i sometimes uh, refer to uh, to the Patreon lot as uh, we've got a London meetup that's on Thursday the 27th of October um, lots of people who do online content do like meet and greet or they do live Q&A or they all of that felt a bit influencer to me and as I say I, I feel I'm a influencer. I don't I'm not here to inspire and lift you up and tell you how amazing everything could be and live your best life and all that shit I'm here to hold up a mirror to the world and say everything's fucked we're all doomed. Now sit down and drink with me. So that's the plan, basically, is for our first meetup. Just get into a pub. Uh, I did say that the first 10 Patreons would get that exclusive invite. I actually hit that threshold a little bit quicker than I was anticipating. So thank you very much to everyone that's jumped onto the Patreon so quickly. Um, so, But basically, between now and October the 27th, you can still jump on to that £5 a month Patreon and get the invite to the London meetup. There is a third tier on there, which is £10 a month, which no one needs to jump on. I had to do three tiers. Just ignore the £10 a month one. 
But yeah, three pounds a month is enough to say thanks. That would be amazing. And it gets you the early podcasts. As I say, I post all of that stuff on there first. Um, and then five pounds gets you the uh, the invites to all of the events also. Um, I will just quickly say a thank you to all of my patrons. Shall I just quickly uh, call this up on the goddamn screen? Um, oh, sorry, one more thing. If you're not in a position to support the uh, the podcast, uh, which, look, you know, I've just spent 40 minutes uh, talking about the cost of living crisis. It is a weird time. Um, I totally understand that. All I would ask is that if you've listened to two or three episodes and you are enjoying it and you want it to carry on going, um, if you wouldn't mind copying a link to one of the episodes, something that you've enjoyed and just send it to a mate that you think might also enjoy it. So uh, it's usually like an upwards arrow thing at the bottom of your podcast player. Copy the link and then go into WhatsApp or Signal or whatever you use and uh, just say, hey, I've been listening to this podcast. It's this fucking nutty guy who drinks beer and talks shit about politics. Uh, he swears a lot but I think you'll like him and then pop it across to them. Um, special thanks once again to the patrons. Let's give them a quick shout out to Alex, uh, Chris D, Chris P, Rax, Ricardo, Silent. I always, whenever I, I mention Silent, he's a lovely guy, by the way. Um, I always feel the urge to then say some of these names may not be their actual names. Um, T-Rex, Oliver, Sarah, Paul and Kerry, thank you so much for continuing to support the podcast. Um, as I've said, I'll be back on Friday night with my guest, Sean. We're going to be talking shit about politics, Labour, tactical voting and so on. Uh, until next time, uh, yeah, take care of yourselves. Hope you can keep your heads down and weather the storm that's sort of incoming now. And I'll catch up with you all soon. All right. Ciao for now. Bye bye.